Good morning. It is lovely, as always, to be with you. I really liked that meditation. I might have to quote it in the sermon. So, you know how y'all, every week, you recite the principles, the seven principles, which I love about this congregation. Um, guess what? <laughs> I'm not going to say they're going away, because they're not going to go away, because so many of us know them and use them and talk about them all the time, think about them and find them helpful and useful. And the place where they're written down is Article 2 of the bylaws of the Unitarian Universalist Association. Now, we're kind of odd as a nonprofit. Now, as a, nonprofits legally in most states are required to have bylaws, and part of the bylaws has to say who you are, why you exist, what's your purpose. They don't usually have to include theological statements or the sort of thing that, that our seven principles are. It's just that we don't have the sort of um, documents, really, or um, that a lot of religious organizations have, where they publish that kind of stuff. Here's what you know. The, here's what we believe. Stuff. It's very com um, very common for new people to come into our movement. And go so. So what do I read so that I know who you are? <laughs> we kind of go well, because they're, what they're asking for is something like the Bible. Do I can? Where's there a book? Where's your sacred text? And it's like, oh, the sacred text. That's you know Mary Oliver some days and Wendell Berry and occasionally every so once you know once in a while the Bible, um, or it might be Hindu ancient ancient Hindu sutras or you know Buddhist texts. Everything is potentially scripture for us, which sometimes means nothing is scripture for us. Um, but the closest that we get to having a, like a summary of who we are is the seven principles. When people you know, are really curious about who we are, I always hand them, if I have one handy, I hand them a wallet card that has the seven principles and the six sources, which you can find actually in, oh, you can't because you don't have the gray hymnals. They're printed in the front of the gray hymnals, but they're not out today. Um, but it is, you know, the principles here are on the back of every order of service in this room on Sunday morning. So you know them. Um, and according to our bylaws, the UUA is supposed to look at Article 2. And, uh, well, I think, it, I think in the bylaws it says they shall look at it every 15 years. I kind of know that that doesn't happen that regularly. Um, although it may be close. I think they were looking at them 15 years ago, but that process kind of never went anywhere. Um, and I don't remember it hitting the congregational level. I don't know. Jill, do you remember seeing any of in district-level stuff? I, I do. That's where I... Yeah, I heard a little bit about that there. I think, I think Joe, you reported on it, didn't you? And it was basically, sounds good, let's keep it. <laughs> yeah, that's what I, the conversations I was part of felt like that too. It was kind of like, okay, yeah, we did that, we had to do it. But this time around, um, about two years ago, almost three, two and a half years ago, in 2020, the board of the UUA created an Article II study commission and said, hey, we want you to look at this. 
and we want we want you to we're gonna we're gonna think really hard about who we put on this commission and oh by the way in since the last time we did this exercise there's some things that have become uh, that have come into our consciousness in new ways and one of the big things was about um, white supremacy culture and the desire to dismantle it and to be more radically inclusive to think about DEI diversity equity and inclusion in deeper ways and we were called rather sharply to in some people's mind to attention to that those issues in 2017 by people within our own movement people of color um, black people um, and well lots of lots of people in, um, inhabiting more marginalized identities than the white middle class and up middle upper middle class majority in Unitarian Universalism said hey you say you are for everybody your principles say this this is not always the lived experience of individuals in our movement we could be doing better we must be doing better there are beloveds we have lost because they were here and they were harmed and they left we have to do better than this and it was really hard I remember talking with y'all about racism back in 2017 and it was it was it was a hard conversation to have. In the years since then, I think we've all gotten better at talking about things. And I, I know, I can only speak for myself, but I know I don't, I, uh, I don't feel like I'm wrong all the time when I'm in a conversation about racism or about white supremacy. I feel more like, oh, I know things, I understand things about how the world works that I didn't know then. So, anyway. Back to Article 2, the, the board of the UUA, so the UUA is the Unitarian Universalist Association of Congregations, of which this congregation is a member, okay? The, the UUA is not a collection of individual Unitarian Universalists. You don't belong to the UUA. You belong to this congregation, which is a member of the UUA. Um, so, and why did I go into that? I'm sorry. I have really good notes here. I have a plan and I'm just not looking at it. Um, the Unitarian Universalist Association has been shifting. And even before we got this wake-up call in 2017, we were becoming, I think, I, I like to think anyway, the love people. So this... Um, Love has always been a really strong value and a word that our theologians among us reflected on. And there's, there are old texts that go way back beyond Unitarian Universalism even. But in the, in the early 20s and um, the 2010s, uh, we had, for instance, the, a lot of activity around LGBTQ issues, especially marriage equality. And some of that resulted in things like the song we know as Standing on the Side of Love, which now you might know as Answering the Call of Love, because the songwriter, who's Jason Shelton, who was at First UU in Nashville, um, he wrote Standing on the Side of Love. And his issues related to accessibility and, um, and people going, well, you know, when, when you sing all songs about standing and walking and running the race and that sort of thing, me in my wheelchair doesn't feel so great. Can we do better? 
can we watch our, can we not use the same metaphors all the time? And Jason chose to enter into conversation with those voices in our movement at that time. And to, he said, you know what, I can just change this hymn. This is not a hymn from the 19th century that we don't have the copyright to. I have the copyright, I can change it. So he changed it to answering the call of love. But that story, the, that, that, that song itself came out of the movement for LGBTQ um, inclusion and equitable marriage laws. Um, early, some, I think it was in the first half of the, the 20 aughts, um, he happened to be in Boston in William Sinkford, who was then the president of the UUA, in his office. And they were talking about, I don't know what, it was probably, it might have been a hymnal related thing. Um, but Bill got a call from a news reporter or something. Jason's just sitting there waiting for him to get off the phone call. And Jason, he, the, the reporter's asking sort of, where, where, where are we? Where do we? Where do we stand on this issue of gay marriage? And Bill said, we stand on the side of love. And that's, Jason took that and made this song, which is a really great song that we love to sing, um, which then later got called, changed to answering the call of love to be even more inclusive. In between, again, and this is sort of um, around 2010, as UUs got more and more involved in immigration justice and showing up in Arizona, um, protesting there and other places and how the immigration and police states were, were running, um, we had the yellow t-shirts that said standing on the side of love with the big heart. And now they're side with love, that campaign's name changed. Um, but it's the, that, that bright yellow, do y'all know what I'm talking about? These bright yellow t-shirts. And um, we started being called the love people, which I love, it didn't come from inside, we didn't call ourselves the love people. Other people who were at these protests and reporters would start saying, where are the love people? They got used to seeing these clumps of people in yellow t-shirts with the hearts on them. And they would say, oh, where are the, oh, there's the, the love people are here. They, and I, I love that other people saw us and named us the love people. So what's, and I'm, I'm talking about all of this because what the board of the UUA did two years ago was to form this Article II Study Commission and to say, we want you to do this work, which the bylaw says we have to do, but we want you to do it while you think about love and what love is to us. We charge this commission to root its work in love as a principle, attending particularly to the ways that we and our root traditions have understood and articulated love and how we have acted out of love. I've never heard of anybody doing the, oh, here's the, the legally required part of our bylaws that we have to do that says who we are. Let's figure out how to say that by putting love at the center. <laughs> you know, it's. It's, it's, I think, a really interesting move, and it's been kind of fun to see how, it's, how they've worked through that. What that commission did was to start holding meetings with various stakeholders, and they started with a lot of our BIPOC um, people, <laughs> our BIPOC siblings within the movement, and listening to their stories. Um, and then talked to a lot of the professional organizations and talked to staff and, ta and put things out and asked for feedback. 
And then they brought, well, you know, they brought reports in 2021 to General Assembly. But so General Assembly, if you don't know, is where delegates from all the congregations can, can join. And now we do it both in person and online it, to discuss the business. The, the General Assembly is the ultimate governing body of the UUA, and it's made up of delegates from all the congregations. So General Assembly 2022, we spent a lot of time in the general sessions talking about how we might revise Article 2. And they, they asked us to do theological reflection and guided us through a bunch of different, um, different topics and then had feedback forms for us to fill out. So this is really big project of, of asking lots of people, do you have anything you want to say about this? It was really kind of cool. It was, a lot of us really thought, oh, wow, this is amazing. And then they went, the, the commission went back among itself, sorted through everything, and this fall came back with a draft of Article 2. Now, I preached a sermon at uh, my own congregation in Greater Nashville. Um, in, a, I don't know, in, in November maybe, um, when the dra that draft was circulating to everybody and they were asking for comments and feedback on it. There's now just been, just this week, I think, um, an another draft, the draft that is going to the board. Actually, I think it just went. I think the board met Friday and Saturday. Um, so yesterday. <laughs> so the, and there's change from one draft to the other because they got a lot of feedback. People logged into Zoom meetings and gave them feedback and they changed things. It's very interesting to me to look at what's happening. So Article 2 has changed before. It was first written when the Unitarian Association and the American Universal, no wait, the American Unitarian Association and the Universalist Church of America consolidated. So this is back in 61. So we had Article 2 then. And then there were changes in the mid-80s, 1985, I think, that um, added a seventh principle, uh, changed a lot of gender references to make them gender inclusive. I, it wasn't all about men and man and mankind. Um, the six sources were added over time. I think that happened in stages. Um, and the six sources say, you know, we, we look to these traditions, Jewish and Christian traditions and other wisdom traditions and prophetic words and deeds and, and there's, um, the, there's six of them. Um, and then, now we have this new change coming. Okay, so. I think, this is what I think when I, when I read the old Article 2 and I read the new Article 2. I think we're moving from simple, not, not from simple to complex in the text, but from an understanding of our communities as simple and rather straightforward. If you believe these things, you're in the right place. You know, if you think every person has worth and dignity, if you think democratic process is a good thing in general and ought to be, encouraged and nurtured in every realm possible, you're in the right place. If you think everything is interconnected and the great web needs to be cherished and protected, you're in the right place. So but that, it's, it's a list of seven and maybe eight. Some of us have started talking about an eighth principle that um, addresses racism, really. Um, but to a more complex, because really, frankly, if you say love, 
loves the center of everything, which is what the new Article 2 does. It says loves the center of everything. And actually, Jill, could you, you could, sorry, Jill's, Jill's got a, I like a, the graphic. The graphic wasn't this good two months ago either. It, it's gotten better. Um, and don't get attached to it because it's quite possible it'll change again. Um, <laughs> but when you put love at the, you know, I'm sorry, I like love, I like the concept of love, I like the idea of organizing around, prioritizing love, but if you ask me to define love, I'm going to flounder around. I think most of us will. Um, so we're, we're understanding that the world is more complex in many ways. We're moving from a, an idea of a single we to more pluralism, and pluralism more deeply understood. I get the feeling, reading the old Article 2, and how it talks about congregations and the UUA and their relationship to each other, and also my lived experience in, a, in, in and with UU congregations about how we use the principles, that the Unitarian Universalism I entered 20-some years ago really sort of had this idea that there's the UUA and the seven principles. And if you're someone who kind of agrees with that, then you join a UU congregation. But it didn't feel to me like that, that those congregations were really, they weren't centered in how we thought about who we are. Even though we've said we have congregational polity, i.e. every congregation creates itself, supports itself, uh, you know, decides who its delegates to general assembly are. But I still felt like we were kind of collections of like-minded individuals. And when you read the new article too, it has a different flavor to it. The congregations themselves feel like they, corporate bodies being in relationship with each other instead of groups of individuals being in relationship to the seven principles, if that makes sense. Um, so there's that, that shift. There's, there's more sense of pluralism. And we have grown. There have always been different kinds of UU congregations, but there's a lot more kinds of different UU um, communities nowadays. For instance, for a while, First UU was doing regular prison ministry at Riverbend, and there was a UU group. They were officially part of First UU, but they were meeting inside maximum security prison every week. It wasn't Sunday morning. We couldn't get a, Monday, a Sunday morning slot, but it was Friday night. And there were people there who were members who had signed the membership book from First UU and, and who gave some of their money. You know, and they were worshiping there. You know, and, and there are there are congregations that are primarily pagan based. There are congregations that are mostly humanist. There are congregations that never hire a minister, like this one has been. There are congregations that have part-time ministry or full-time ministry or ministerial teams. Um, and there are congregations that run this way or that way and they're called, some of them have organs and choirs who wear robes and some of them have guitar players and or a piano player and con robust congregational singing or not robust congregation. Congregations have, there's, there's so many different kinds and, and we're not, I'm feeling less pulled toward patterning ourselves out of something that came out of New England, colonial New England. We're just lots of different kinds of expressions of congregational life happening. So I, I think on the whole, we've moved from a mostly Western European educated elite 
which is still, that is still really strong in our movement, but that is not the UU culture anymore. Our culture is becoming much more pluralistic, much more diverse, um, and, and we've, lot, many of us have embraced the language of beloved community, which comes from Martin Luther King Jr., of course, but as a specifically anti-racist goal to build community where everyone belongs. And I think we, we um, I don't, hmm, I want to say we stretch it beyond racism work, except that racism work is so far from being adequately addressed that I don't want to talk about beyond it yet because we're still in that, but we're also stretching in other areas. How do we be inclusive? Um, neurodiversity is a big thing with me recently. Um, for the last couple of years, I'm thinking about it a lot. And, um, we are trying to deal as a movement with how, how do we include people who don't present the same or don't experience the world the same way? How do we serve families who have members among them who are neurodivergent? Um, how do we serve people on, you know, who are on, there's, there's so many spectra and I love that because it's like there's so many different rainbows. We all can place ourselves wherever we feel we need to. Um, but how do, we, how do we actually welcome these people? How do we actually serve them? How do we invite them to participate in our ministries of building a more just world? Um, so those kinds of conversations weren't, it wasn't that you couldn't have them 20 years ago when I was a new UU, but they're happening all the time. You can't not have them now, which I love. <laughs> and I think this new Article 2 goes very far in that direction. And I'm gonna, um, I think you've all gotten this little thing. I, I, there is a long, actually it's, it's like a 20 some page report, but it's big print spaced widely with big colorful pictures in it. So I encourage you, if you're at all interested, go and find the, the, um, the report from the Article II Commission, because they talk about how they were formed, what their charge from the board was, how, who they, who's on the commission, how they did their work, why they changed things. All of that is in there. But. Is that on the UUA website? It is. If you go to the UUA website and search for Article II, you will find. And what, you, what you're looking for is the Article II study report. So, we used to have an Article 2 that was titled Principles and Purposes, okay? And let's start with, with the, the purpose. Um, the, in, the, in the old one, this is from the 1960s and 1980s, the Unitarian Universalist Association shall devote its resources to and exercise its corporate powers for religious, educational, and humanitarian purposes. This is the legal statement that must be in something, in, you know, somewhere in the bylaws. The primary purpose of the association is to serve the needs of its member congregations, organize new congregations, extend and strengthen Unitarian Universalist institutions, and implement its principles. The new purposes paragraph is now at the top. It used to be the third section, the third or fourth, depending on how you count. It was down, it was buried in the middle of the old Article Two, but now it's at the top. The Unitarian Universalist Association shall devote its resources to and exercise its organizational powers for religious, educational, and humanitarian purposes. Its primary purposes are to equip congregations for vital ministry, 
to, to support and train leaders, both lay and professional, to heal historic inequities and to advance our Unitarian Universalist values in the world. The last fall's version also had a sentence that said, we will transform the world by our liberating love. I love that sentence. It got taken out. <laughs> um, and I'll talk about that in a minute, because there were a couple other places where things like that got taken out. Um, now it says, to assist congregations, its primary purposes are to assist congregations in their vital ministries, to support and train leaders, both lay and professional, to foster lifelong faith formation, to heal historic injustices, and to advance our UU values in the world. So I don't know if, if you hear it, but what I hear is that it was, before it said it was here to serve the needs of the member congregations and to create new congregations. And now it's saying, we are here to support you in serving the needs of the world around you. We are here to help you do your ministry. That's a very different um, and much more, it, it assumes that the congregations are not just gatherings of people of like mind. <laughs> They are gatherings of people who commit themselves to serving the world around them. You have a ministry. And then it says, what, what, was, um, what was last fall, we will transform the world with liberating love. It says the purpose of the Unitarian Universalist Association is to actively engage its members in the transformation of the world through liberating love. I like that a lot better, partly because some of, some of what was in the falls were these sentences like, we're going to transform the world with love. It's a little bit overreaching. <laughs> An organization that has to create legally binding bylaws probably isn't going to transform the world through love. But they can sure as heck say, our reason for being is to help you try to do that. I like that. It's not, it, it doesn't overreach. It doesn't say they can do it. But they say, if we all work together, they, maybe we can help each other do it. So I like that part. And then we go into a section called values and covenant. So instead of principles, and we, you know, the, the, the old principles never did say um, uh, anything about covenant. Well, it does, it had the word covenant in it, but it what didn't say this is a covenant. We've kind of used those seven principles as a covenant quite commonly, um, but now they talk about we covenant congregation to congregation and through our association to support and assist one another in our ministries. We draw from our heritages of freedom, reason, hope, and courage building on the foundation of love. Love is the power that holds us together and is at the center of our shared values. We are accountable to one another for doing the work of living our shared values through the spiritual discipline of love. So then you get this picture, which you're holding in your hands. And um, like I said, this is, I don't think there's anything final about this yet. And by the way, I have, I have been told by regional staff that if you love the principles, and they're really good. There's lots of great songs you can teach the young people about you know, the seven principles and we are all the colors of the rainbow and um, all good. We can still use that. The seven principles still are true about us, but 
This is a different way of thinking about how we explain who we are. With love at the center, we value, and they name these six values, and they have really, our seven principles aren't gone, they're embedded. They're, they're, it's not that they're reworded, but they are very much included in the expression of those values. But they're not now things we believe in. We never like talking about we have beliefs. We don't really have beliefs. You know, we, the principles were a list of values. Now we're just calling them values at the front end. So interdependence is about honoring the interdependent web of all existence. We covenant to cherish earth. And I'm not gonna read you they have like three sentences for each of these values, and I don't have time to read all those. I'm not going to, but I really hope you look them up. Pluralism, we celebrate that we are all sacred beings, diverse in culture, experience, and theology. We covenant to learn from one another in our free and responsible search for truth and meaning. You hear those words from the, the seven principles? There they are. Um, and that, that pluralism value now kind of replaces the six sources. Um, which is kind of good because the six sources we had to keep adding to them over and over again every time we like oh oh wait now a lot of people are learning about this or that so it, they were probably going to get unwieldy very quickly um, so going on justice we work to be diverse multicultural beloved communities where all thrive we covenant to dismantle racism and all forms of systemic oppression we support the use of inclusive democratic processes to make decisions. So there's our commitment to democracy coming over from the principles. Transformation, which last fall was named evolution. I was really interested to see they changed it to transformation. Because when they put evolution in, their description of evolution was very much like what it is when they named transformation. But that word evolution triggers pro-Darwinism. Or in a lot of people's minds. So some people really loved it because it's a commitment to science, the science of evolution. But really what they were trying to express was the value of transformation. So now they've labeled it transformation. We adapt to the changing world. We covenant to collectively transform and grow spiritually and ethically. Openness to change is fundamental to our Unitarian and Universalist heritage. Heritages, never complete, never perfect. Generosity, we covenant to freely and compassionately share our faith, presence, and resources. Our, our generosity connects us to one another in relationships of interdependence and mutuality. Equity, we declare that every person has the right to flourish with inherent dignity and worthiness. Here, first principle right there. We covenant to use our, all of our resources to build and sustain fully accessible, inclusive communities. And then it has a paragraph on inspirations, which like in three sentences, again, this is the rest of replacing the sources. We use and are inspired by sacred and secular understandings that help us to live into our values. We respect the histories, contexts, and cultures in which they were created and are currently practiced, which um, I love. It's, it, it's much more intentional about avoiding appropriation than we have often been in the past. We've been better and better in thinking more and more about it over the last couple of decades, but this is a nice statement, I think. These sources ground us and sustain us. 
Grateful for the religious ancestries we inherit and the diversity which enriches our faith, we are called to ever deepen and expand our wisdom. So again, there's the sense, I just, I love being a Unitarian Universalist and especially a Unitarian Universalist minister because anything can be a source. You know, when I come and want to talk to you about making meaning, I can draw on anything. And you hear me say, oh yeah, I just bumped into this on the internet and let's talk about it. So. We are, we are called to deepen our engagement with all of the world. And that's expanding wisdom and change is, the, is just the thing. Then there's a section on inclusion, which was there before. It was in the old one. Um, and now it, it, it has um, more understanding of the systemic power of privilege and oppression and barriers between persons and groups and people with particular identities, ages, abilities, histories are named explicitly here. Um, and then the goal of replacing those barriers, barriers with more and more solidarity, mutual respect, and inclusion. You know, to be truly welcoming to all persons who share our values is what we covenant here. Um, and then in the old one, freedom of belief. So freedom of belief is, that's like a touchstone for you use, right? The old one, the you know, 1960s one. It's a little bit um, ancient language. Nothing herein shall be deemed to infringe upon the individual freedom of belief which is inherent in the universalist and Unitarian heritage or to conflict with any statement of purpose, covenant, or bond of union used by any congregation. So that's both individual freedom and congregational freedom. Unless such is used as a creedal test. So you can't be a member congregation if you say to people, you need to recite these words before you can, or, or, or assure us that you agree with this belief before you can sign our membership book. That would get you out of the UUA, you know, were it to be known. And, um, and now it says, congregational freedom and the individual's right of conscience, conscience are central to our Unitarian Universalist heritage. Congregations may establish statements of purpose, covenants, and bonds of union so long as they do not require that members adhere to a particular creed. And it got significantly modernized in language since last fall, which I think is kind of nice. We don't need herein <laughs> anymore. <laughs> so um, I'm curious when we get to talking very shortly because I'm going to stop talking. I'm real curious how this how this lands with y'all. This replace, especially the part, now this isn't the whole, the whole article is a little longer than what I've had time to read to you, but replacing the principles and the sources with this statement of love as a central power and, and orientation that holds us together in our values and how you, what you think about those articulation of the values. And I would encourage you to read this um, I would encourage you to consider serving as a delegate from this congregation. And who in the congregation would they talk to if they wanted to be a delegate to General Assembly? Who's the president right now? Oh, Debbie. Okay, so Debbie, who's not here, I can't point to her. Um, but you all can look up her email address and let her know if, you, if you're interested. And, and you can be a delegate from home. You can get on Zoom. And it doesn't cost anything to do the, just the business parts. It, and GA is in Pittsburgh, which is drivable from here. 
Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, if you like long trips. Um, but because at GA, so what's happening now, the board just talked about it, I think, and they probably suggested some changes. And then there are going to be opportunities this spring for more conversation and there will be a mini assembly ahead of general assembly where delegates who want to propose um, amendments to this can, can do that and there's a process to work through before it comes before the general assembly. What's going to happen is there will be a vote at general assembly this summer in June and it needs to pass by a simple majority. Um, and then it is held for another year of discussion and education, and then it will be voted on in 2024 at General Assembly. And there to be enacted as part of, as Article 2 of our bylaws, it needs a, I think it's two-thirds vote, sorry, I should, Jill's nodding, so she agrees with me. <laughs> um, it's, it's a bigger vote. If it fails either of those two votes, it, it's two years before we can bring it back up at General Assembly again. So, and there are some people already who are organizing, and I bet you somebody here who's got the control of the, or, the, the, the congregational email has gotten an email already saying, oh no, the seven principles, they're taking them away. <gasps> panic, panic, panic. So there are people already organizing to stop this from happening. But I would, I hope y'all will, those of you who are interested, you're not interested fine there's other people who are but engage with this and figure out if you like it figure out if there's some fatal flaw that could be corrected with a with an amendment um, because this is important this is how we say who we are to the world but also how we say who we are to each other and it's what we say congregations are for what, what, why do you exist? Y'all are brilliant at existing. I love this congregation. I love coming here. My sense is that this wording of things can give you sort of a breath of fresh air. To me, it feels like, oh, yeah, it's really different. And my first response when reading the draft back in the fall was actually grief to lose the seven principles. It really was. So you may have that, too. And you might get over it like I did. I sort of like got to, oh, well, this is kind of exciting. <laughs> and this could work. This is different. But we've, we've lived with these others basically for all of my lifetime, which is longer than many of yours. Mm -hmm. And um, maybe it is time for a little bit of something different. Um, and maybe uh, every time we change things, especially big things like this in our bylaws, we are changing it to try to, to make it work better where we are right now. That's why like, I'm glad herein left, because <laughs> nobody talks that way anymore. You know, so this is hopefully a, a fresh place that we can go that is consistent with our heritages. It actually, in terms of love, and how love has been part of who we say we are always, is much clearer and much more, um, inspirational but also challenging. So I'm going to start stop talking so that we can all talk together. But I want to leave you with a quotation from Hosea Ballou who was, he's often considered the founder of, universe, of the Universalist Church in the United, you know, on this continent. Um, he's an 18th and 19th century Universalist minister. And he said, if we agree in love, there is no disagreement that can do us any injury. But if we do not, no other agreement can do any good. So I think this is a, it, it, 
This is my call to you. Can we as a people, as Unitarian Universalists, agree in love? And not just here in this room, but can we learn how to do it with each other, too? May it be so. And however this, these votes go, may we make that so. We can agree in love, I think. Thank you.